0: Welcome back to the intro podcast you are listening to episode 143 a conversation with Fitz Kohler. Fitz is an author a keynote speaker a professional race announcer at some of the largest races throughout the country and a fitness expert. She has a master's degree in exercise and sports sciences and has been teaching fitness around the world for decades. She's a mom of two And she's also a breast cancer survivor who was diagnosed in early 2019. Fitz talks a little bit about her breast cancer treatment, some of the challenges that she experienced during treatment, as well as some of the triumphs. And one of the most notable things was that she was able to travel all around the country doing race announcing while she was getting her treatment, and she talks a little bit about why she did that and why it was important for her. After her treatment, she wrote, My Noisy Cancer Comeback, Running at the Mouth While Running for My Life, really detailing what her experience was like. Most recently, Fitz is the author of Your Healthy Cancer Comeback, Sick to Strong. And having read it, I will say that it truly is this comprehensive guidebook and a powerful resource for cancer survivors and thrivers who are hoping to slow decline during treatment, which does happen, and regain overall health and recovery. She focuses a lot on improvement of your strength, your stamina, mobility, balance, which is so important, and provides really tangible resources, exercises that you can do, starting with very basic things um, to more advanced exercises. On today's episode, we talk about all of it, the importance of movement, the benefits it has, how you can get started, and we talk about some other fun things, and we talk about what race announcing is like, and this program Fitz has created called The Morning Mile in Schools, which I am just obsessed with. This is a fantastic conversation. I left feeling motivated, inspired. And that's something that we all can use a little bit of sometimes. And so with that, it is my honor to welcome Fitz Kohler to the Interlude Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude Podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today. I am
1: ecstatic to finally talk to you. It's been a while, right?
0: Yeah. So I received your book a couple of weeks ago. Um, I love it. I think it has so many wonderful resources and we're going to talk about all of that. Um, okay. Before we do, tell me a little bit about who you are and your story.
1: Oh, who am I? Uh, noisy, bossy. Uh, as far as professionally goes, I'm, I'm obviously an author. I'm a keynote speaker. I'm a professional race announcer. So I host many of the largest, most iconic running events in the United States from Los Angeles Marathon to Big Sur, Buffalo, Fargo, Gasparilla, the Donna National Marathon to Finish Breast Cancer. She probably mentioned that one first. (laughs) And uh, most importantly, I'm a fitness expert. I have a master's in exercise and sports sciences. I've been teaching for decades. I started when I was a kid and uh, I'm a mom. I got two. uh, Well, one's 20, one's 18 now. So they're still babies to me. And I'm an animal fanatic. I don't know. (laughs) Those
0: are all all great things. As a runner, I think race announcer by far the coolest thing. Um, And so tell me a little bit about how the book came to be using your experiences. What prompted you to write it? Walk us through that process.
1: Yeah. So, so, so I've got three. I'm not, my noisy cancer comeback is the, is the memoir, but I think we're going to be talking about the, your healthy cancer comeback, sick to strong. And that book was born when I, the, out of a few places, um, number one, when I hit my sixth round of what we dubbed everything in my world had a nickname when I was going through it, all of it. So I would call it the main chemo. It was a taxotere carboplatin nightmare, and uh, I got to round number six of that. And I went in to see my doctor before he gave me permission to go into the infusion room. I was a bit of a basket case that day. Everything had really gone wrong. My, I mean, everything had gone wrong on me, and you know, chemo number one is nerve wracking because you don't know what's coming. But then chemo number six is, a, is way more nerve wracking because you know exactly what's coming, right? So I go in and he says, Fitz, you are doing so good. And I said, what? He goes, oh, you're just, you're doing so good. I'm so proud of you. And I said, Dr. Gordon, you're not paying attention. Like I am a catastrophe. My innards have been through a cheese grater. My eyes have changed color. My fingernails have ripped off. Every iota of me is a mess. I don't know why you're saying I'm doing so good. And he said, Fitz, it's not that you haven't suffered. You have suffered tremendously. He said, however, if you were not so committed to health and fitness coming into this, you would not have been able to travel around the country every single weekend. And I took, I boarded, 30 planes during my 15 months of chemo to go work, to go announce races and speak and stuff. He said, you would not have been able to do that. In fact, you probably would have been hospitalized a whole heck of a lot more than you were. You might've had a feeding tube, but you're so committed to health and fitness that you've been able to not only avoid those real hardships, but you've been able to do wonderful things. So yes, you've suffered, but your health and fitness has really paid off. And that was a real aha moment. And then, as things progress, I had surgery. I had uh, radiation. I went to Silo, which a lot of people are like, "No big deal." Oh no, From no,
0: me- it's it's not a no big deal. Let's oh put my gosh, there.
1: <laughs> I lost like 14 pounds. I became a little skeleton. And uh, at about that time, I looked that way. And then I went into the gym to strength train, and it was it was probably the first time I went to do anything upper body after my surgery. And I put the pen into the machine or wherever I used to lift. And I couldn't push. And so I dropped the pin and I dropped the pin. And eventually I got down to where I could only lift 20% of what I had previously lifted pre-cancer. And that was a real aha moment to me. And I knew I was weak for various other reasons, but just to see the numbers, the percentage was pretty shocking. Um, But what I, I had that moment where I thought, okay, if I were anyone else but me, I might be running to my car, leaving the gym, going home, crying. But lucky me, I'm a fitness expert. So I never had a doubt that I would rebuild back my muscle mass and get back my endurance. And I knew I wasn't going to be stuck at rock bottom. And that was a really powerful moment for me where I like, okay, I look like this and I feel like this and I'm performing like this, but I can get it back. But at that very same moment, I had that aha moment of grief for all of my peers all of the cancer patients around the world who had been brutalized by their treatment or their disease, and they were not fitness experts. They were hitting rock bottom and they had no flipping clue on how to rebuild their body, how to get it all back. And while there's so many people saying you should exercise, you should eat right, zero people are telling you exactly how to do it. And so that's where your healthy cancer comeback was born. I thought, you know what? I'm I'm the the actual fitness expert with some cancer street cred, I get it. And I can hold their hand and I can guide people from treatment on out and get them back to living their fullest life. So that's how that book was born. And I'm so proud of it. I
0: mean, you know, you bring up such a good point because I think you, if you worked out before a cancer diagnosis, you know how to modify, you know how to tweak. But there's so many people who either didn't or are using this diagnosis as an opportunity to get healthy. And it can be yeah. really hard to walk into a gym or to pick up a set of dumbbells and not know what to do with them. And I love yeah. your book because I think it really gives these tangible exercises. It really makes it simple and basic and a great resource for, you know, it's nice to it's light. So you can actually take it with you and bookmark yeah. <laughs> the gym. And, um, but I, I think it gives people a really great starting place with to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to commit. Now I'm curious as someone who is in that health and fitness world hundred percent of the time when you were diagnosed and how many years ago was that?
1: Uh, February of 2019.
0: Okay. So when you were diagnosed, what did you adapt? Did, were you able to do your usual fitness routine? What modifications did you make? Did you strength train? I think those are questions that a lot of people kind of are faced with when they're diagnosed and just don't know what to do?
1: Yeah. So uh, it, the the real key component there is doing what you can, when you can, mm-hmm. and also being really compassionate with yourself. So, you know, I know a lot of people have it way worse. I did not have the full mastectomy. I had a lumpectomy, which was bad enough. Thank you very much. Right. But I, mm-hmm. the, the trauma that comes along with the full mastectomies and the rebuilding, that's a totally different beast. So, Um, for me, I had to do a lot of modification, modifying because I was so sick. I was very sick, like violent stomach bug every day for a very long time. And so, um, there was times where I knew, okay, if I try to exercise, I'm just going to clear old pass out. Um, but the things I could do were strength training in bed. when I had a lot of stay in bed days. Could I do bridges for my low back? Heck yeah. Could I stretch out my upper body? I could. In fact, I took every opportunity um, because I was so sick and I was exploding all the time. I would get in the shower like five times a day. I was the queen of the shower. Every time I got in the shower, I was committed to stretching in there. And I would put on Jerry Seinfeld interviews because he makes me laugh and I needed that. And so it was Jerry Seinfeld yammering on as I stretched. And so, you know, those. I have a whole... You know, you've seen a couple dozen photos on how to stretch in the shower. Um, When I when I wasn't uh, well enough for cardio exercises on land, I I got in the pool and I didn't even get in the pool to swim. I just at one point I got into wiggle. I was like, okay, I'm going to move a little bit. And then at my gym, I'm so fortunate there's this warm therapy pool. And so I would go in that warm pool. It was 92 degrees, so I never had to worry about being cold. And I could wiggle in there and just do leg lifts without dealing with gravity or heat. So I did a lot of modifying. And you know, I'm I'm four years out. I just finally have been able to do push ups. So for the people who think they're stuck the way they are and they'll never get it back, now you just got to keep trying, and eventually you'll get you'll get back all of those things you used to be able to do.
0: Do you have any advice? I think those things probably didn't come as easy, right? It's not easy to pivot from running and and doing all of the hard fitness to stretching in the shower. Did you have those hard mental moments? And what did you tell yourself? Or what advice do you have for people who are really like, no, I feel sick and I, I don't want to do, you know, bridges in bed. I just, I just want to binge Netflix.
1: It's so two things is um I've had my fitness routine altered through injury in the past, through pregnancy in the past. So, you know, whether it's fun or not, if I when I had a broken foot, I couldn't run. I had to adapt mm-hmm. and you know, for me, fitness is so important that under any circumstance, I'm going to figure it out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just I had reasonable expectations, and you know, it's never about who you used to be. You know, I it's uh, we know those guys. You know, guys, you'd be like, I used to play football, and it's he's 52 now, and he's got the beer <laughs> belly, and he's not taking good care, of but he's still bragging about the football days. I get it, buddy. You were great, but what are you doing today? And so, um. I'm really flexible. Was I disappointed to be a sick person? Absolutely. Nobody likes cancer. Nobody likes being sick, uh, but I was highly motivated. Uh, You know, a real aha moment was I I had finished the mean chemo. And again, I was just starting to ease back into doing a little more. And so I live on a hill. I probably live on the only hill in Florida, but it's a 10% incline. And I had walked around the backside of the hill. I walked down. And then uh, I tried to walk up (laughs) and I couldn't. So I called home. I asked my husband, I said, hey, I need you to come pick me up. And he said, well, where are you? (laughs) I'm (laughs) at the bottom of the hill. He's like, you are what? I said, I just can't get up. I can't get up. So he came down and he actually pushed me up. And so that became my exercise. He would walk with me and he would get behind me, both hands on my back, and he would push just enough so I could give whatever energy I had and he'd fill in the blanks. But yeah, he just, you know, he if you spend all day reminiscing and pining over the thing you used to be that you're not right now, uh, you won't make any progress. So you gotta be the, only, you gotta use your discipline. You gotta use your determination because nobody can do it for you. Right.
0: That's
1: great advice.
0: What was the recovery after the
1: lumpectomy and catsila in terms of really getting back? Uh, you know, baby steps. My, my first priority, much like with medicine is first, do no harm. I think that's always a big rule in fitness is not to hurt people, not to hurt myself. So I, I, I went from wiggling in the pool, to walking in the pool to swim one lap in the pool. I would literally, I would say, I'm going to swim for one minute today. And that would be it. So I did the things that were most comfortable for me at the time, gentle weightlifting, uh, bands, exercising with nothing but gravity. So I was very gradual. And because of that, I didn't have any setbacks. Uh, did I challenge myself? Yes. But I never went to the point where I thought I was in harm's way at all. And uh, I, it, it was so gradual. By the time I finished sila, uh, which is all of my treatment ended at that point, a month later, I did a Spartan race it's amazing yeah so mind you i didn't kill it there i wasn't like woo look at her go spartan i was i was a slow poke and i did more giggling than anything else and i failed how it.
0: many people have ever actually finished a spartan race so right. i think you win.
1: right yeah i failed at a lot of the obstacles but i was just so happy to be outside and doing something so i think don't take yourself too seriously but take fitness very seriously that's a that's great advice,
0: and we know and we know fitness is so big in cancer reducing cancer recurrence, keeping your heart healthy, feeling good. I mean, yeah. the benefits are are so
1: are just so broad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, when I first was diagnosed, and I only had maybe about twelve days between diagnosis and starting treatment, it was very aggressive. And they said, "We got to get you started now." I mean, it might have been shorter. But at that point, once I knew I have cancer, my workouts doubled. I wasn't trying to get skinny. I wasn't trying to put on strength, any of those things. All I was trying to do was vent those toxic feelings that had built up in my chest. So I would walk into the gym thinking, oh, I'm dying. And then I would walk out of the gym feeling like, oh, maybe things are gonna be okay. Right. So, you know, that mental component is is just. <sighs> paramount paramount to anyone's success and then of course just mobility and flexibility and you know people say well why would i waste my time on balance training i'm i i don't you know i don't need it no the second you get dehydrated which happens a lot for chemotherapy patients and radiation and surgery you know balance is a really big deal and you you fall a it's Horrible to fall as a grown-up. You know, when we fell as a kid, we kind of bounced. We don't bounce anymore. So just in general, falling down blows. But once your mind has been altered by all of these treatments, falling down could really make your life miserable. So it's it's necessary.
0: And thinking also long term, chemo damages your bones. Yeah, the medications we give to patients after that active treatment can damage your bones and That's where balance is so important. So to reduce fall risk so that, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, you don't trip and you don't break a hip.
1: Yeah. And on that note, when we're talking about our bones, what two of the most powerful ways to increase and maintain bone density is strength training and impact exercises. So will cycling... Benefit, you know, will swimming benefit, you know, but will weights and bands and cables and body weight exercises, anything that makes you grunt, will that help you with your bones? Yeah. If you do any sort of walking, jumping, running, pounding, will that increase your bone density? Yeah. So, uh, you know, there is no magic pill other than fitness. I really do think fitness is the cure-off for most things.
0: I, I'm with you on that. And, you know, it's interesting because I've gone through my own kind of up and down, you know, you know, pair pregnancy and, you know, I had pubic dysfunction and I couldn't run, you know, all, you know, the things and you become a new mom and that's a lesser priority. And during COVID, it was the only thing that kept me sane. You know, I would come home from work and it was crazy and the hospital was insane and I would run. Um, and then there was nothing else to do. So you just kept working out and that kind yeah. of like solidified my, you know, daily, you know, I do believe in a rest day once a week, but that really, I think has helped me mentally kind of manage some of those, the struggles that we faced during COVID.
1: So let me ask you, I'm going to turn the interview on you because you and I are already so committed. We get the benefits of fitness, right? We have bought on the hook, line and sinker. We get it. We want it. But what about all of your patients who have an exercise? They don't get it. They don't believe you. You know, How do we get those people newly diagnosed to understand that, yeah, this is going to enhance your experience, enhance your quality of life?
0: And that's the challenge. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. You can preach to the choir and those people, mm-hmm. get it, right. And you can help, I think patients who are already exercising, figure out just like you do how to modify, mm-hmm. how to manage some of that. But the challenge is getting people who are not regularly moving. So I can tell you what I do. So at our hospital, we came up, we started something called um, PrEP, which is Physician Referred Exercise Prescription. So it's been shown that if you give patients a prescription that says go exercise, they're a little bit more likely to do it. But we have, our hospital has a medical gym. So it's a, it's a full foot gym, but they do physical therapy. There's a pool, they have aquatic therapy and it's a little bit more for the medical patient. So you don't have the guys that are, you know, lifting I mean, you do, but not as much. And so people feel more comfortable stepping foot in that gym and we give them, they actually get with someone like you, an exercise specialist, they get an right. assessment and they get a four week kind of prescription. And they can't join the gym after, but at least they know when they walk in, okay, this machine does this and I can walk on the treadmill and that's a start. But I tell people, even that aside, walk for five, you know, walk to the end of your driveway and back, walk to the end of your block and back. Can you do that three times a week? Because what I find is that people who don't exercise, they know it's important and they say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to exercise 45 minutes, five days a week. And they fail on day one.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: They stop, right? They're like, well, I right. I didn't meet my goal. So I think what you said about small meeting, you know, knowing where you are and being really realistic with your goals.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me. um, And I have had a bunch of oncologists, the book's pretty new. It's only been out for a few months, but I've had a bunch of oncologists buy it in bulk. Now they just say, we need our, we just need our patients to do this. And you, you have fit photos to teach them how to do it. It's, you know, it's, it's a, priority for doctors, but not all of them have the same setup you do to get their patients guidance and appointments to yep. get into action. So yeah, it's. Uh, I I really hope everybody hears it. I mean, the studies alone that say this will help you get closer to remission, quality movement, quality nutrition will help you reach remission. Well, this is a way to help save your own life without any nasty Side effects.
0: No medicines, you know, and that's it's. So we did a study during COVID. It was all virtual, but we did virtual personal training for patients getting chemotherapy for breast cancer, and then we used the Peloton app for some additional classes to try to get to 150 minutes per week. And we found that in those patients, it was a small study, but the patients who did it, they loved the virtual personal training because it was in their home, right? They had no pressure, and sometimes they really felt so sick, and the personal trainer was like, "All right, we're going to do leg lifts in bed," you know super easy. And they, their cardio respiratory function did not decline, which is something that we normally see happen. You know, you can't, it's hard to walk up that hill, like you said, the the garage stairs. So those little things impact quality of life.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that's the focus. When I, when I tell people about the book, it's not just about getting stronger after it's, How much of the decline can you slow? Mm -hmm. And uh, I was actually interacting with um, Dr. Lusky. He's a radiology oncologist. And, you know, his burden is all the patient's family keep saying, rest, rest, you got to rest. Lie down, lie down, lie down. Well, what happens when people do nothing but rest? They lose muscle mass, they lose Mm -hmm. mobility, they lose stamina, they lose balance. That all goes away and that's not good for anybody. So, you know, how do you balance the rest you need and then can you tell the difference between you want to rest because you're depressed? You know, there's that psychological thing that makes you want to just go lie down. So maybe if you're not puking violently at the moment or something, perhaps a walk, a walk might lift you up. You know, there's 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 some negotiating to do there with yourself.
0: I tell people, you know, again, that five, 10 minutes a day. And if at the 10 minutes you're like, I am drained, I cannot possibly yeah. do any more then you're really tired. But I think that's where enlisting the family members to help. Yeah. And, you know, we suffered with COVID because family members weren't coming, right? right. And they, you couldn't have that conversation with them. And now that we're all together, we can say, hey, you know, patient's husband, brother, sister, wh- whoever, friend, your job is you, I need you to get them to walk.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And to keep you accountable because when you don't feel well, I get it. That's the last thing you may want to do.
1: Right.
0: One of the things that I struggle with is not struggle with, but I talk a lot about is getting people to start strength training. I think that walking is easier to start.
1: Right. Right.
0: So do you have, you know, either any tips for how someone can, you know, who's, who does not do any strength training can start an if you can give me three exercises that someone could do without a lot of equipment in their house to start moving in that way.
1: Yeah. So, um, and, and that's actually why I filled chapter seven of of your healthy cancer comeback with hundreds of photos, just because people are like, I don't know how, okay, well here's exercise. You could do like basic exercises per body part. And then here's how to exercise in the chair and how to do it in bed. But I think gravity is one of our greatest opponents, our greatest tools for, Fitness. I love gravity. I think most people um, ignore their low back, um, which is the greatest source of discomfort and pain for most grown-ups. So a bridge where you actually lie on the ground, you bend your knees, tuck your feet under your rear end, and then you lift your hips up. If every grownup on earth did bridges every other day for the rest of their life, all the complaints about back pain and soreness and so forth, they would disappear. So uh, definitely bridges and then i would say plank and planks are hard plank is when you hold yourself up in push up position or you hold yourself up on your forearms that's a great way to engage your core your glutes your shoulders it requires no huffing and puffing and you benefit as as long as it makes you uh struggle so if you can only plank for 5 seconds and then you, you shake and you drop, okay, well, you did five seconds worth of product, productive work. So um, these things that uh, we gauge our capability based off of time, bridges and planks are both uh, really ideal because you don't have to do 10 sets of blank. You don't have to choose your weight. You're born with your weight or you you have the weight that you have right now. So I definitely say bridges, planks, and then squats. It's important to be able to stand up. It's importantly, important to be able to lower yourself down. We stand up, sit down all day, and uh, you can actually stand up out of a chair, sit down in a chair, stand up in a chair, sit down in a chair. That's as simple as uh, squats need to be. So yeah, those would be my three body weight exercises that anyone should give a try.
0: And so if you're listening to this, this is a good time to get up out of the chair. <laughs> yeah go for a walk. But you know, I think this is important because I think so often the fitness industry is a little bit glorified, right? Mm-hmm. That you know is runners that you need all the things and you really probably don't need all
1: of Right. Right. Uh,
0: but I think sometimes people feel overwhelmed in yeah. not having the fancy equipment. And so it's nice to have the the, ba- the body weight to fall back to.
1: Absolutely. And my, you know, I, I, there's a lot of problems in the fitness industry and that's probably for another show, but Uh, I've made a career out of telling people the truth, whereas the fitness industry is a multi-billion dollar industry based off of snake oil salesmen that are selling lies and diets and gimmicks and pills and all sorts of snake oil. And it's just ugly. And so whoever you are out there, know that you don't need to buy any products that say weight loss on it to lose weight. You just need to learn how to eat the right amount of the right food for the size you want to be. The right food it's the stuff you learned about in kindergarten. It's not so complicated. It's the fruits and the veggies and the seeds and the nuts and the beans and lean protein sources. And, you know, perhaps everyone has their, you know, their, their things, whether you're intolerant of something or uninterested in something, but, uh, but, you know, the foods that are good for you. And then there's foods that you should avoid. And we should all avoid because uh, some of them help and some of them Hurt, but you don't need to buy a product that says weight loss or uh, gainer fuel or any of those things. Um, I did lean on some protein powders when I was emaciated from chemo, but it was in a limited quantity until I got back to a, a place where I could eat more comfortably. And so that was that was uh, purposeful, and it, it certainly wasn't for any sort of fitness benefit. I was just simply trying to put on mass.
0: And that's really important because you see there are so many people selling weight loss supplements and just, there's also people selling cancer supplements. And if you take this pill, you're going to, your sister's never going to come back. And there's so much kind of misinformation and disinformation out there that it can be really hard to navigate. And that's why these conversations are so important that to kind of just get back to the basics.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really exercise should require, um, you moving in a variety of ways and, when it comes to food, usually nothing, you can't get at a farmer's market or a grocery store. So um, the, I, I I tell you the truth, there's probably some other fitness professionals out there to tell you the truth, but once you learn the truth, then it makes everything uncomplicated and you're so much less likely to fall for things. And I was an overweight teenager. I was a bulimic, I I, I just didn't know until I knew. And then once I you know, understood the facts, it cleared it all up and made it so much easier.
0: I, I, I think that that's really important. I also tell people if you can't recognize or there's like 30 ingredients or you can't recognize some of them, stay away, right? The less ingredients, the better.
1: Food you can see, food you can say, you can pronounce. Yeah. Real food.
0: Oh, exactly. Tell me a little bit about race announcing. How did you get into that? And again, this is probably not anything cancer related, but that's I'm, okay. I'm so curious.
1: Yeah. So So as a fitness and sport performance expert, I was often at various uh, sporting facilities, teaching clinics on how to perform better, prepare your body to perform. So I was teaching my strength training for runners and pain prevention and management for runner clinics for run Disney.
0: Okay,
1: People are unfamiliar. They put on. Yeah, four events a year from 5k to marathon distance, and they're pretty popular. So I was teaching clinics for them and their race announcer, Rudy Novotny, who was the voice of Disney for over 10 years, he was stuck introducing me. So anytime I'd come up to the podium, he would say, this is Fitz Kohler, blah, blah, blah. And then he'd be stuck there listening. <laughs> and at the end, he would always say, you're so great. You're really good. And you yeah, it was really fun and everyone was engaged. And then he'd say, you know, you're only, you're our only real speaker. We got people who come and talk, but nobody's a real speaker. Okay. Thank you. And then he kept saying, and I finally, after one event, I said, Rudy, thank you so much, but I don't know what to do with that information anymore. I think he goes, you know what? I know what to do with it. He said, I need a co-announcer for the OC Orange County Marathon in California in a few months. Are you interested? And I said, well, I've never done it before, but it looks like a lot of fun. I'd love to give it a go. He said, I think it will fit like a glove. So he connected me with the race director who looked at fitsness.com and uh, we had a brief conversation. He said, I'd love to have you come announce our race. So Rudy showed me the ropes and uh, within about an hour of yelling go on marathon morning, I think we had 25,000 people that year It was a biggie. And uh, within about an hour of yelling go at the finish line, Gary came over and he said, can you come back next year? And I said, absolutely. I mean, it's just, I love live audience work. That's really where my heart is. I love connecting with people. I love when they nod and smile. I love answering questions. And, uh, so race announcing was a real reward because on the fitness side of my business, I do a lot of arm twisting. You know, I'm constantly trying to convince people that exercise is a good idea, (laughs) But, um, but on race day, you know, these organizations say here's 30,000 people who think running is a really good idea. And so my whole job is just, just get folks engaged, informed, entertained to celebrate everybody. And I'm the ringleader of the fun. And, and, uh, the blessing of all of that is when I was sick, I, I had decided in advance. I said, I am not giving, I'm not giving up time with my kids and come hell or high water. I am not missing out on my career. I, a, I needed the income and B I earned my rightful spot on those coveted stages. I wasn't giving it up. So me and my bald head would just co- cart off to LA or Buffalo or whatever, wherever I was. But no matter how sick I was, whether I slept on that hotel bathroom floor all night, once I got to my stage, every single thing that was wrong with me would disappear. I wasn't sick. I wasn't tired. I wasn't hurting. There was no suffering at all. I was uh, laser focus on these incredible events and the extraordinary people that I was there to support and the adrenaline kicked in. And as long as I had an athlete on the course, I got to be full force Fitz Kohler again uh, for as long as it took. And what a gift to be in such a dark place and have so much joy. It really, uh, I I, I'm, I will be forever grateful to the running industry and to my runners for um I, I really do think they took a part in saving my life. I'm so grateful.
0: You're thinking it's so beautiful and, and thinking to the energy uh, at the start line, at finish lines. And, you know, that saying that if you want, what is, if you, if you want to see like change a what is that saying? I think from Catherine Switzer but something about like, if you want to see humanity, watch the finish line of a marathon. Yeah. And I can imagine that all of that probably just allowed you to put the sickness and the nausea, yeah all of that just aside.
1: Well, as you know, the running community is like, the, and I use that term loosely. We include walkers and run walkers, but you know, these are people that are taking care of their health, which yay, we want them to do that. They're always taking care and supporting their community. Yay. And then so many great causes and, you know, to constantly bear witness to you know people that look like run, running a marathon or even a 5k should not be in their wheelhouse yet they come out some are morbidly obese some are in their 90s some have zero legs some are pushing people in chairs for 26.2 miles you know someone with a disability gets to be a marathoner based on their their able-bodied partner it's just it's uh, it's perfection. It really is such a gift and and I get the the best seat in the house to watch it all go down. I get to be the first one to congratulate our athletes and um I think they make me a better person for sure. It's it's, it's just all good. I got nothing negative to say about it.
0: No, it's, it's the best. I was running a very terrible, I mean, it was not terrible, but it was a very hilly half marathon on Sunday. And by the end, and like, I totally, it was in Central Park and I used to live in the city and I know the hills and I just kind of underestimated them. And I get the first loop. I was like, oh, this is great. PR, it's going to be amazing. Get around the second time. And you're like, why did we do that? And yeah. So at the end, I was like, this is just brutal. And You know, you're kind of like, you know, you do these things, you're like, this sucks. Why am I here? I'm just going to slow down. And then I I thought about, you know, the people who can't run. And I always do this at the end of a race. And I think about the people who I've treated who either can't run in the moment or passed away from their disease, who would give anything on that course. And it really changes your perspective.
1: So you'll appreciate this. Uh, I told you about a month after chemo, after all my treatment, I did a Spartan. I did a slow and silly, but it was great. So then I got a little cocky (laughs) and I'm in Florida. It was during the COVID lockdown, but we were still up and running. So there's a mini sprint triathlon in Claremont. It's a hilly part of Florida. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to go do it. I'm going to do this mini sprint. And I had been using, I'd been swimming. I had started cycling. And, uh, I just registered like a buffoon. So I go there and I get in the water and it's only a 200 yard swim, which folks is not a big, big length, but I start hyperventilating the second I get in the water, which happens to a lot of triathletes. So hyperventilate. I'm the first person out of all the athletes in the water. I'm the last person out of the water because I just dogged it so bad, but I get out and then I go get on my bike and the the course is very hilly. And it was an 11 mile course. And I'm okay saying I've done all sorts of incredible athletic things in my life. I had never cycled 11 miles. So I get around the lake. I'm at mile eight. I'm looking across thinking, Lord, where is this finish line? This is tough. My little legs are burning. And I'm still built like a little skeleton there. I'm a little skeleton on the bike doing my thing. And I get to the final quarter mile and I have to go up this the street is straight up. So I I ride a little bit and then I just can't, I can't move anymore. And now I'm hyperventilating. I'm (laughs) totally sucking wind and um, I can't move the bike forward. So I dismount. I'm just standing there with my bike. And now this volunteer comes running over say, Oh, you can do it. You can do it. This poor man is cheering me on and the cop is behind me. So if anyone's unfamiliar with what that means is with almost all of our races, we have law enforcement, lead the pack, and then follow our final runner through just to make sure everybody gets in safely. So I'm the dead last. I've been passed by pregnant people, elderly people, children, you name it. I've been passed. I'm dead last. The cop's behind me with the flashing lights, and I am suffocating. And all I can think is how lucky I am to be doing this hard thing. Because a year prior, my hard thing was that fifth or sixth round of the mean chemo. And it was so much better to be suffering in the middle of the road <laughs> with people not understanding why you're in terrible shape. Um, so it was it was just this uh, moment of feeling grateful and being having perspective. And so I finally got moving. I got up the street and I planted my bike. And it was a two-mile run, which I did mostly walking. I was dead last finisher that day. And I've never been so proud of me. It was one of my greatest days on this earth, not because I did, I was fast or impressive. It's just because I was alive and I had chosen athletic adventure. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody gives themselves a shot, right? You don't have to be the best. Just, just be a part of it.
0: What, what a perfect sentiment. I mean, I, I think there's so many people who don't, who face the exact same thing and they, they're nervous and they're scared. And I think just showing up for yourself is the best thing you can do, not for anybody else, but showing up for you.
1: Yeah, it's incredible how many people will uh, run a race or do a whatever, and they'll say, "But I was last," Ugh. and they make all these excuses. i like, "Shoot, you went out and did it. Who cares? Like your your placing didn't matter. I ran Boston Marathon a year after chemo. I was in like 15,000th place. <laughs> so great! Yeah, Yay, so you did
0: it! And and unless you are a pro
1: whose right.
0: salary and livelihood depends on finishing at a certain place." You showed up less than 1% of the population runs a marathon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you're a part of us. Join in, join in, join a one mile, go whatever it is. Just do something, man. Go take a Zumba class. Be a part of life. Life is good. And all of our friends facing cancer should know that because when someone looks you in the eye and says, you have cancer, all you want is your health. You're willing to give up your boat and your fancy purse and all the nonsense in your home because all you want is health. And so if you're going through treatment now, I'm guessing a lot of your your uh, mm-hmm. audience yeah. is going through treatment. Uh, I know you would give it all over, all of it, just to have health, to not be have cancer. So, okay, we're going to get you there. Yes. You got to help yourself. Use food, use exercise as a tool, use complimentary care, your acupuncture, your massage, whatever works for you. But then, when you get there, and and you will, I believe you will. Uh, <laughs> then you really have to prepare your body, right? Then you say, okay, I'm never going to neglect this thing again. I'm not going to take you for granted. I am going to make myself as resilient as possible. I know I tell people all the time, prepare your body today because you never know when illness or injury will strike. And uh, we see so many incredible stories of people that were hit by a bus or they, you know, I don't know, struck by lightning, and then they make these incredible comebacks. So you're far more likely to recover and rebound if you have a healthy body going into crisis. So, uh, So yeah, let's get on with it, right?
0: Let's do it. Before we wrap up, I saw something on your website that I really want to ask you about, and that is the morning mile. So what?
1: No. So the morning mile is probably the most important thing I've ever done in my life. It's my before school walking running program, and it's in over four hundred schools worldwide. And basically, it allows children to sh- and their families and the faculty to show up before school. They get a thirty minute window to walk as little as they want or run as far as they want. It's just a thirty minute window. Um, we play music. We play music, we make it fun, we provide rewards. It's free to participate in the school. Each school is sponsored by a sponsor. Sometimes it's a national brand, sometimes it's a local plumber or attorney or hospital that gets these programs going. But um yeah, it's a every day of the year program, weather permitting. And we uh, we deny nobody. So there are some running programs that are just for a particular gender or a particular age range or a particular type of child who can afford it. Um, the Morning Mile is for every child, every day, plus their family, plus the faculty, plus the bus driver. And uh, we do no coaching, no choreography whatsoever. In fact, we just unleash them. We make it fun. We make it rewarding. And we have so many schools that, uh, complete over 20,000 miles a year. We have individual elementary school students who are doing six, 700 miles a year just because they want to. Uh, so yeah, Morning Mile, if anyone is interested in getting more kids moving in the morning, if you visit morningmile.com, you'll find some details about that. And I would I would love to get your kiddos or your favorite school moving.
0: That is incredible because we health starts at that age. That's yeah. when we build those habits. And what, like, I'm sure it increases concentration and focus for, I mean, all the things. That's, wow, I love it.
1: So I set out with healthy bodies in mind. That's who I am. This is, I have, I'm like a one track mind. I'm always going healthy, healthy, healthy. But my first bits of feedback I got from schools when I launched the program in 2009, number one, a third grade teacher tackled me. I was at my kid's school, basically tackles me with a hug. And I was like, what the heck's going on? She said, thank you so much. My third grade boys sit down now. So that was it. They were just sitting still and learning. And then the principal came and gave me another big hug. And he said, uh, you have sliced our tardies by like 75% because all the kids want to be at the morning mile. So they show up at school at seven, even though school already only a school starts at 745. forty-five." if they're there for the morning mile, they naturally get to class on time. So it really solves a lot of problems. And I'm really excited because I know as time goes on, I'm going to see Olympians that were morning milers, and I'm going to see executives who said they learn healthy habits and discipline and consistency at the morning mile. So it really is a it's something that makes a child well-rounded.
0: Thank you for doing that.
1: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: Where can people buy your book? Where can they find you? Tell us all about. that.
1: Yeah, so the Cancer Comeback Series. All of these books are available wherever books are sold. Uh, your Healthy Cancer Comeback: Sick to Strong. That's the guidebook, the manual, the one that will hold your hand and help you exercise and eat right through and after your treatment. The Healthy Cancer Comeback Journal is a crap ton of fun. It is full color and it's the perfect place to put all of your diagnosis details, um, information about your your fears, your faith, your family, your friends, the fun stuff, and Believe it or not, I think everybody knows they probably laughed at themselves through the experience. So, you know, there's a page that says, what celebrity do you look like bald? For me, crazy Britney Spears. <laughs> this is what I got all the time. They are like, you look like crazy Britney. Thank you. Thank you so much. We've got the advent countdown calendars for That's our advent nice. styles. So for radiation, you can cross off your zaps. We've got the chemo bag. So you can um, cross off that. And then the last quarter or last third of the book is all daily journals. And um, it's to log your journey from sick to strong, uh, tracking your fitness, your nutrition, your hydration, your sleep. And then of course, your strawberry moments, which are the best moments of your day. And I think during cancer care, we have to lean in to the happy stuff. So there's there's a place there that will force you every single day to write down wonderful things that happen. And then lastly, My Noisy Cancer Comeback. This is my memoir, Running at the Mouth While Running for My Life. And it goes through my wild and crazy experience traveling the country, hosting a million athletes, bald and gray and uh, weird. But uh, yeah, they're all available at fitzness.com. So fitzness.com is my home base. That's F-I-T-Z-N-E-S-S.com. They're all three there. You can buy them as a three-pack with a discount. We've got the Cancer Comeback hats the comeback queen hat the comeback king hat there's all sorts of fun stuff to make um to make your journey just a better experience to talk about the tough stuff we are not victims cancer's not victimizing us we have so much control and uh my purpose is to lean in and help you find your control take control of the things you can make it a much more happy experience and of course make your life a lot better when you're done so fitness online fitness on social media and um my My hopes are that if you follow, I promise quality content in return. But if you do follow, I'd rather you reach out and tell me, you heard me on Dr. Toplinski's podcast and you'd like to be friends because I would much rather have friends than followers. Don't you think?
0: I agree. And, you know, one of the things I really love about your book is the colors, you know, what I yes. mean? and and it makes it first of all my kids, you know, when I got in the mail, and they, they were like, let me see and picture. Uh-huh. Right? And so I think it's a great way to get kids involved as well, because it's, sure. it's bright and friendly. But it also makes it less and less, I think, intense or scary, um, and less complicated, which is important, you know, hey
1: you know, when I started, showed up for treatment, I felt like everything was beige and gray and all the pamphlets are so terrifying and the little digital board at my doctor's office. And if you touch a button, it tells you something terrifying that might happen to you. And so when I created these books, I just thought they, they need to be filled with joy. And, and so the colors, right? If they're happy, there's no ribbons, there's no um, scary bald heads or whatever. It's just you know, even the cover of my memoir, I look like, yay, cancer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you have to, you have to have a little fun with it.
1: I think so. I think so. I mean, there was, there was definitely a lot of horrible days, but uh, I chose joy every single opportunity I could, and it's gone a long way. So hopefully, uh, help people find health and joy it means a lot to me.
0: Thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you all for listening to this conversation. It is really, it was it was such an honor to speak with Fitz and all of the work that she has done and is doing is changing the world. And I, I truly believe that if we get people moving, starting at a young age, that the benefits are tremendous. You can find Fitz on Instagram at Fitzness, F-I-T-Z-N-E-S-S on her website at fitsness.com, where you get all of her information, links to everything, um, her books, which I definitely, definitely recommend your cancer comeback. I have that one and have just kind of been using that to even show my patients some potential exercises that they can be doing. You can find me at Dr. Doplinsky on social media platforms and if you enjoyed this episode or any others of the interlude podcast i'm always so grateful if you can take a moment to leave a rating hand or review on apple Podcasts, as that is the best way to help me grow the show and bring it to new listeners thank you all for being here and i will see you soon